Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. And today we are joined by Francis Leach. This will be our last episode of the year. So I wanted to take this chance to thank you all for listening to our first season. It's been a fun journey and I hope to be able to bring you more talks and interviews with Georgia music teachers in the future. If you or anyone you know are interested in speaking to me, please contact me through membership.georgiamta.gmail.com. I am in the beginning stages of planning new episodes and would love to hear from you. So without further delay, let's get to our interview. Hello, Francis. Hello, baby. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here with me. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Growing up, my family was a musical family. My dad played the violin. My mom played the piano. Her mother, my grandmother, was a piano teacher. So my sisters took piano, my cousins, girls and boys took piano. So I would hear them practicing and I would go over and just play the scales and they would teach me pieces by rote and I would learn them very quickly. And our piano was not in the best shape. You know, we have 88 keys on the keyboard, maybe six to nine would work and the others would be blank when you played them, but that never stopped me at all. So I enjoyed playing the piano and I enjoyed classical music from a very early age. And I started with the Royal Schools of Music with Mrs. Norma Bacchus, deceased, grades one through grade six theory and grades one through grade five practical. Several of those I got passed with distinction. And then I moved to the United States and went to Meridian Junior College and continued my studies in piano with Barbara Fortenberry, excellent pianist and excellent teacher, and transferred to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg and continued my studies with the late Mr. George M. Bergoglio for my bachelor's and master's degrees in piano performance. I then got a job teaching two years at a private junior college, then I moved on to work on my DMA. Sure. Since we're talking about your education, do you have a favorite memory of your piano teachers that you can share with us? Certainly. I really do. <laughs> Starting with Mrs. Backus, my first teacher. She, I would go in for my lessons and instead of warming up, playing the pieces I'm supposed to be showing her I studied, I would play everything else but <laughs> and she would say please get your work right and the other teacher was an older lady when I moved to Georgetown the capital city of British Guiana and I would go in and I would just rattle off stuff at the piano and that's how I learned this adjective she would shout from my bedroom stop being so rambunctious <laughs> and that has stuck with me all these years that has stuck with me all these years. On a more serious note, 
The last two piano teachers, Mr. Georgian Bergoglio and Dr. Digby Bell, both are already deceased. They, over the course of me studying with them, they told me one thing, and they, they didn't tell me this at the inception of my studying with them. It was close to the end, and they said to me, whenever the opportune time was, that you are a special student because of one thing. You have a natural gift of musicality. We don't have to teach that to you. And I never quite understood it because I just did it. And those things stick with me, baby. Yeah, that's really encouraging and powerful to hear from a mentor. I want to explore that. I wonder if that impacts your approach to teaching your, your students when you were teaching. Um, how do you encourage your students or how do you motivate them? Wonderful question. You're absolutely right to ask that question. And that, that little seedling that they planted in my mind is what I start looking for from the first time I meet a student, whether it be a, a beginner, a college student, or someone who's preparing for a competition or something like that. I would see how they approach going to the piano, sitting at the piano. When they do touch the keys, instead of banging, I would ask them, play it, listen, and immediately they change because they start listening, which of course, as pianists and musicians, the ear is always the final judge, period. And that is how I approach my pedagogy or pedagogical way of teaching. And to be honest, baby, I like to say I guide students. Don't necessarily teach them, I guide them, meaning, I make sure that whatever rudiment or technique or aspect of playing a piece, scale, approaching fingering, dynamics, musical interpretation, I always make sure that they understand the, the concept from every direction. So therefore, I ask more questions of them for them to explain. And then when they satisfy me with the answer, I said, well, there you go, you've got it. I didn't tell you that. I didn't teach you that. I pulled it out of you. That way they do not forget. One can forget when it comes from yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's great. How did you acquire this pedagogical approach? Was it that this approach that your teachers took with you or was it something that you gradually honed through your career? It's something gradually I honed through my career. My teachers taught me a lot, technical approaches, etc. Like I mentioned earlier, they never really had to do much with the musicality and the expressiveness of my playing. I'll point out things like dynamics here and there, you know, make sure you're doing it. Everyone needs to list some, a listener. But honestly, that's a great question. I hate to be backtracking. That's a great question because to be honest, I honed it along the way because if I did not, 
hone those things that I needed to do to make my playing solid, accurate, consistently, to make it musical with the proper dynamics or appropriate dynamics and tempo consistently. I had to learn that on my own. The fact that when you're playing fast or slow pieces, you have to be very firm, even though you're very relaxed, kind of a contradiction. You have to be firm in your fingers, but still very relaxed to control the keys for, for them to sound, for them to be accurate every time you play a passage or a piece. So it's something I honed along the way and it keeps growing. The older I get, the more I know how to approach something to get it right consistently. Since we're talking about something that's been honed through your career, earlier when we were talking about your background, we kind of left off uh, with your doctorate and you were head of a junior college. Tell us about the rest of your career from there. As I was completing or working on my DMA in piano performance, I got a call to interview for a job at Delta State University, which is located in Cleveland, Mississippi. And that was in 1987. <clears throat> I went and interviewed, the job was offered and I secured the job. And I was in that position from 87 until 1998. When, or during which I taught several students, my major job, was to teach all the piano performance students, all of them. And then of course, one has to fill one student load. So I would have to take students who are music education people who have to complete a proficiency, piano proficiency. So if you're trumpet, whatever, whatever, you have to be able to play the piano proficiently when you get into public school, because you need that. So I did that until 1998 and retired and I moved to Atlanta. And then I worked in the public school system for a short while and then retired from that. So you retired so that you could work some more, it sounds like. Well, I retired first because this town of Cleveland, Mississippi is a very small town. The university was the culture. So after 11 years, I needed some more in my life. So I moved to Atlanta. I see. Can you yes. tell me who are some of your musical heroes and why? Great question again. Baby, you're an excellent host. Wow. Two people. There, there are many, okay, which I'm sure the same, they're the same for you. Mari Pariah and Barry Douglas. Murray Pariah, because of his technical facility, but more so his warmth and musical presentation of any and everything that he touches. And it's solid. It's not this typical touching the keys, very solid. Love Murray Pariah's playing. And Barry Douglas, dramatic, strong. And the first time I heard Barry play, it was live. I think it was during a competition. 
I'm not sure if the Tchaikovsky was here many, many years ago. And he played pictures in an exhibition. And that's where I got the inspiration for my second solo recital for my degree. I chose that. So Barry Douglas instilled that in me. Wonderful. Do you still play pictures? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But I'm not up to the par the way I was years ago, but I'm getting back there. Because like I said, I'm planning to be back performing in about two, three years. And that's part of my programming. Along with Beethoven, Beethoven's last piano, Sonata in C minor, Opus 111. Yes. Great. Takes a lot of stamina, those pieces. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What are some challenges you have encountered as a musician and how did you overcome them? You're a genius <laughs> with your questions. For me, baby, and this is very serious and dear to my heart, my biggest obstacle as I pursued my career especially after moving to the United States of America, was my financial hardships. It was difficult. I don't come from a rich family financially. I come from a family that's rich in class. You can't buy class. And it was always a struggle between doing something and cannot do in something, sorry, because I don't have enough money or I have to work when I should be practicing. Mm -hmm. And that was consistent throughout my career. And by the way, several of my teachers in the United States said that. They said, you know, we wish you didn't have to work at the holiday and part-time. We wish you didn't have to do this. Not my assistantships that I would teach piano to get extra money as, you know, as a stipend, but they recognized my struggle in accomplishing everyday life because of the lack of financial backing. Yes. I wonder if, you know, now that you're at the you're in retirement and you're able to look back on your career. Is that something that you would trade and you wish that you hadn't gone through? Or is that something that has become part of you, become something that is um, integral to who you are as a person and as a musician, the struggles that you went through? Would you trade that if you could give it up and do it all over again? Not for one single thing, no. Because what that taught me, even more so than piano and the discipline it takes, it taught me discipline. And it taught me responsibility even more than I was already. I wouldn't trade a thing. I fantasize about having the time to do more practicing, having the money to have more opportunities that were available. But no, I wouldn't trade a thing for it. It made me a more steadfast, thorough, thoughtful, and appreciative person for what I have in life and what I have earned in life. Yeah. I find that frequently when people go through trials, they want to escape it. But once they have gone through the trial, 
they look back and they're grateful for the trial that they have gone through. Yes. Well, I don't remember ever wanting to escape it. I just knew it existed and I had to deal with it. So it was not like, oh, I wish this, oh, I never was jealous of anybody else. I knew people were better off financially than I was, but no, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Wow. What are some of your favorite memories as a teacher? Looking and appreciating the growth of students, whether they're beginners, intermediate, collegiate, advanced, concertizers, to watch the growth musically or technical security after getting advice of maybe how to practice certain passages, etc. That is the best feeling. After they win a competition, wow. And even more so, when they turn and say, oh my gosh, that is so much easier. What else can you ask for? Great, thank you for that. Um, you've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask it anyways. How do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? Make sure you do play the correct notes, correct rhythm. Those are very fundamental because you have to be dedicated to the score. I have no tolerance for incorrect notes, incorrect rhythm, sorry. And I make sure that the first time they touch the notes of whatever piece or scale or arpeggio they're playing, they make a beautiful sound. As soon as they figure out the fingering, which is also nice and important, that the sounds they make have a good tone and that they sing. The piano should always sing, period. Even if it's Aaron Copeland or a pointillistic music, even those loud crashes, there's a different tone that you get if you just bang, as opposed to approaching it artistically. You could have an artistic bang with a good sound. So that's my basic premise. Earlier, you talked about how your teachers find that you were musically intuitive, that it came to you naturally. How do you teach your students to understand something that comes to you naturally, but maybe does not come to them naturally? Good question again. After they play whatever this they're studying and it's all mechanical and all rhythmic and making sure they, I said, no, listen, listen, the ear, final judge, listen to what you're doing. Make sure every piece, every piece of music or any sentence that we speak has a beginning, a middle, and a destination, or a return after the destination. So take me somewhere. And even if you're going from here to the front door, somewhere in the middle of that, there might be a little incident, but take me somewhere. I just don't want to hear, no, 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 no. Let's elongate. That idea of notes strung together to make an arc, 
or slur R. Great, thank you for sharing that. Do you have any motivational strategies that seem to be effective in encouraging students to continue their musical studies and be diligent in practicing? Yes. One, it, I, it goes back to me. I, like I said, instead of thinking of me teaching, I guide. So before they leave or before we change pieces, I'll say, now what are you gonna work toward? Okay, we practice these three measures. You remember I told you, you have to do it five times correctly. And if you don't get it right, anywhere in between there, you have to start over. And I have this button that I use. And if they get it right, every time they get it right. That was easy. I press that. These are for the young kids. Even all the kids and students like it. So we'll, let's say they're playing a passage five times. And the fourth time, something happens. Oh, you got to start over and then we'll just get to laughing about it. And one of my students, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> and we'll start over. And I said, no, you're not. Here we go. So that's one strategy. Another one is I allow them, I encourage them. Whatever you hear on the radio, on the TV, or make, make up stuff, go wild on the piano. Do your piano studies, but go while I do not care. I've had so many of my beginners would play things that they saw on YouTube. Like one of my little girls, she was playing something, but baby love, something about an elephant, I think. And I didn't know what it was. And she, and she played it on YouTube and then she played it and she was doing it exactly like it was. I didn't even know it. So I do encourage them, experiment. I don't stop them from exploring. No limitations. And with, in today's world with electronic keyboards, I certainly encourage them, read that manual, explore and experiment with every single facet that keyboard is capable of. Every single facet, the rhythms, the different sound of instruments that can be made, combinations of those. Know your instrument. It costs your parents a lot of money. That's a lot of money, right? Yes, Dr. Lee. Well, you need to utilize every area of it. Yes, that's, there was a two. And then I'll give them pieces that they like. Or I ask them to choose something. I might play a group of small pieces, not for them to copy, for them to hear, to get a sound ideal and let them choose. I, I like the idea of using their instrument as a source of inspiration. I had not heard of that before and um, using the keyboard to your advantage to motivate them to explore different sounds. That's wonderful. Certainly, yes. And then, you know, that's how they're, we have these beautiful arrangements that come from people that you never heard before. But yes, nothing less. No, that, that's the best thing you could do, especially since those things cost so much money. Use it. Yeah. Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and interprofessional life? Yes. 
speaking of electronic instruments, we know it's so much easier just to acquire a melody and harmony and put them together because of the technology involved. And you don't have to actually do it like you have to an acoustic piano. Um, I tell them, make sure you continue with that, but make sure you also understand all acoustic instruments and what they do entail for you to make music using them because they're different techniques, completely different techniques, completely different techniques. So I do encourage that. And I said, don't get disheartened because a lot of so-called younger people do not seem to be into the classical music mindset, but we can't give up. We have to continue, people like you and myself, performing, teaching, sharing, making them get excited by whatever means necessary as teachers for young, old, experienced beginners, we have to use every means to keep the classical acoustic realm alive. It's a struggle today, but I think it's coming back. I think we're gonna yearn for it because there's so much emphasis on AI and technology that I think the soul of a human and of all us humans, our souls are yearning for this natural part of what makes life tick, what makes music work. That's fascinating. Uh, you know, we met at the GMTA conference and we had conversations during the banquet about this, about this next generation and the role of classical music and their their interest or maybe their lack of interest in our job in, in fostering the next generation. What do you see as um, signs that there is this yearning? Because I think a lot of people are discouraged. You know, classical musicians kind of look out at the landscape and see uh, symphonies and orchestra shutting down and declaring bankruptcy. What are some signs of hope that we can cling to as we continue in our careers? Yes, uh, a hope is I see all these young people who are in competitions, winning competitions, playing acoustic piano or acoustic instruments, classical music. So that's one positive thing. There are people out there who are still teaching. So there's a market for it. We would like it to be more abundant and all that. And I think, like I said, it's coming back. I think it's coming back, but we cannot give up because that is the soul of the human. Music is a language, as we all know. And we know it's a language because of the letters and the rhythms. And it's such a complicated language that an electronic keyboard cannot convey it the way an acoustic keyboard can. No way. So we need, because you speak through your soul, an electronic keyboard can do that for you. Yes, we have weighted keys. Yes, we have this. It's not the same with that escape mechanism of the acoustic instrument. 
That's the big difference right there. That's how they know when Bebe plays, when Francis plays, when Tom plays, the way we manipulate that escape mechanism. That's what people are referring to when they say, oh, you have a wonderful touch, or oh, your touch is so harsh. They're talking about the way we are manipulating that little escape mechanism. That's fascinating to me. Can you elaborate a little more on that, on how you teach that to your students to develop their own voice and to find their own touch with the escape mechanism? Wonderful question again. When they're here with me on my acoustic piano, from beginners or collegiate, whatever, I make sure they realize there is an escape mechanism. I'll tell them, take your second finger on D next to middle C, push it down slowly, and it's gonna stop, and then push again. And they feel it, what I call slip. Then it goes down a little bit. And I said, did you feel that? I said, yeah. I said, do it again, take your time, push it down slowly, it stops. Push again, it goes through. So now stand up. If it, well, it doesn't have to be a grand, but if it's an upright, open it up. And I said, now look, that note, play it so you could hear it, you know. And I said, now look at what that hammer, which is what hits the string, is gonna do. You push it down. Now they don't have to look at the note they're playing because. They're looking at the hammer, they push it down, they see it raises up. And when your finger stops, they see it stop. And then when they push it through the escape mechanism, they see it flick, but not hit the string. Mm -hmm. That's where I begin. Beside the way you sit, how far away you sit with your knees from the keyboard, the central position, sit at the edge of the stool, that is a very important part of my pedagogical introduction to acoustic pianos. And they're amazed. And I said, that right there is what separates the men from the boys, how you manipulate that escape mechanism. And I said, that's why it takes years to perfect that. And that's why each pianist has his or her own touch. Can you see that? The five-year-olds would say yes. The 50 something year olds would say yes. Because they experience it themselves. And then I would tell them, okay, now push and push right through, and, but not too hard, and they'll get a soft sound. I said, that's how you differentiate between mezzo forte or mezzo piano, or forte or piano, by hope hard, how quickly you push that key down. You're manipulating the escape mechanism. That is it for all pianists. They, I would hope most pianists know that. And I think that's where, I think that's where, oh, you have a wonderful touch. The musicality part is, I think, is a sensory nerve muscle combination that 
is acquired and gifted by the supreme being. You have to be born with it. You can't teach musicality. You could teach one to slow down, speed up, sob, loud. But that innate ability to sense the harmonic changes, melodic changes, or a combination of both at the right time, it's hard to teach that. Yeah, I think that's why for a lot of students and um, perhaps for teachers as well, musicality can be such a mystery, such a mysterious topic to approach because it seems so complex and so intuitive and it's so difficult to put into words. How do we put into words the sounds that we hear inside our head? You know, what yes. words are sufficient for describing that and conveying it so that it enters into another human being's head? Correct. Correct. And it becomes difficult when you have a student who is not necessarily musically sensitive. The minute you hear a student that is musically gifted, you know it, don't you? You know it. Because they do things that you hadn't even mentioned to them. So that's the mystery about it, but I don't think it's a mystery. It's a gift from the great one, the creator, the master of the universe, whoever you conceive him to be. This is going to be our very last question. I want to know what are your plans for the near future, your next two to five years? As I stated earlier, I plan to have at least two solo recitals ready to go and at least one chamber recital ready to go. I have no one to play. I, I, I would like to repeat uh, the two piano sonata by Mozart, the Frank sonata for violin and piano and the Prokofiev, not Prokofiev, yeah, Prokofiev sonata in D. And I would like to revive those. Also the theme of variations of Beethoven by Sansa. So I hope to get that big, robust program along with Beethoven 111 and pictures under my belt again for the next two to three years. So that's a lot. So it's going to take a while. Well, Francis, we hope to hear you around the state uh, as you get back into concertizing. That's a very big program and very exciting for us to know that that is coming in our near future. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for being such a passionate speaker and such a passionate advocate for music and musicians. I wish you happy teaching and happy students. Thank you.